I really didn't get into the sheep hunting. It's something that I always dreamed about when I read Jack O'Connor stories, as many people did. And I was out actually chasing uh, some big mule deer bucks. And I can remember I was on this rocky ridge, and all of a sudden right there in front of me, uh, a desert ram appeared. I'd really, really never seen one before. And just as soon as it appeared and stared me down, it turned and in just a, a flash of the eye and a little bit of dust, it was gone. But I was so intrigued by where those animals live that that started me on a journey that uh, definitely has changed my life. Welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast, fueled by Ripcord Arrowrest and First Light Hunting Apparel. At RNA, we are public land DIY conservationists that love to share our passion for the outdoors. So join us and our team as we interview professionals in the industry to share insight knowledge that helps make hunters and anglers more successful. listeners, subscribers, and fellow outdoorsmen and women. This is your host, Lucas Paw, and I'm excited to tell you about some of the sponsors that continue to help make this podcast not only happen, but grow and thrive in this digital world of audio content. This podcast is brought to you by Ripcord Arrow Rest, the bow hunter's number one fallaway rest on the market. Ripcord is known for 100% full-time arrow containment in their patented drop-dead brake system that eliminates launcher bounce back. Best of all, Ripcord is backed by their rock-solid guarantee. If the original owner has a part break for any reason, it will be repaired or replaced at no charge. And did I mention, Ripcord is located in southwest Montana, where all their products are made with pride in America. Check them out at ripcordrs.com and on their social media feeds. This podcast is brought to you by First Light Clothing and Hunting Apparel. Born in the Rockies in central Idaho, First Light's mission is to create simple yet proven versatile gear that provides comfort and performance in any situation while working to promote the pursuit of ethical hunting and stewardship. I recently joined the First Light Pro Staff team and have continued to be impressed year after year in their innovations in engineering and merino wool fabrics. Ten years ago, they started putting out wool fabrics with camo patterns, and immediately this changed the game. Since then, they offer multiple layering systems and kits in various proprietary patterns and continue to raise the bar with their competition. Find them online at firstlight.com or under their social media feeds. Go farther, stay longer. Welcome, listeners, to the RNA Outdoors podcast. I am your host, Lucas Paw, coming to you from the 12th floor of the uh, Marriott here in downtown Salt Lake. Great view. Very nice view. Um, we're here for the Hunt Expo, uh, which is a, a fun time of year to, to come here in early February and uh, take in the Western Hunting Conservation Expo uh, here in Salt Lake. I'm joined here by my illustrious sidekick and co-host, Mr. See, Jason Quick. Now I've upgraded illustrious sidekick, <laughs> so, so co-host. Speaking of smartphones, you might need to Google what illustrious is. Yeah, what does that mean? So. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm not smart enough to know that. So yeah, so Jason and I are here um, for a couple days uh, just to uh, take in the expo and, and uh, obviously uh, go to the Full Curl Society and uh, 
put our winning chances in and hopefully win I'm, one of the ten cheap hunts. I'm actually here working for NRA. Come on, don't don't be sugarcoating too much stuff. That's right. So Jason's here on business. I'm just I'm just tagging along. But yeah, so we're excited to be here uh, and actually super excited here this evening uh, to to be sitting down uh, with our guest this evening uh, is a guy who um, I know I've looked up to for many years uh, and someone that I followed on social media, uh, someone that uh, um, I actually uh, met, interestingly enough, through Jason uh, and ended up uh, purchasing a, a set of optics uh, through Randy and uh, since then have, have just... Uh, you know, been a subscriber to his email service, uh, really enjoy the emails uh, that he sends out. And most of our listeners probably uh, are either um, subscribed to the email service that he does or uh, do know uh, who Randy Johnson is, who is with High Desert uh, Wild Sheep uh, Outfitters and Guides. So anyway, with that, Randy, welcome to the RNA Outdoors podcast. Well, thank you, Lucas. It's my privilege to be with here with you and Jason uh, this evening. I I can honestly say I wish I was on a uh, big mountain peak somewhere, uh, <laughs> so glassing, yeah. glassing for sheep. But we're up here pretty high, and there's lots of lights out here in this uh, city sky. Maybe not the stars that yeah. that we would have if we were uh, on a backpack trip. But it's my privilege to be here, and uh, a couple of very good California hunting friends right here. Yeah. Yeah, it's well, not often do the guys with shorts on come to Utah in February. and <laughs> Which that's me, but Jason's got jeans on. But well, it's because my legs are way wider than yours, yeah, so we can't go there. We wouldn't need lights on in the room if it was for that. So, but yeah, so we're here um, again, excited. Uh, we met up with Randy at the expo, uh, had dinner, and uh, just wanted to sit down and uh, you know talk to Randy uh, a little bit about his background. And, and most that know Randy know that uh, you know sheep has been his passion for many years. That uh, was inducted into the Full Curl Hall of Fame years ago, uh, and uh, and we'll see him again on Saturday for for that for the festivities there. But Randy, just to kind of kick it off, maybe talk a little bit about um, yourself. Um, maybe for the listeners that don't know who you are, uh, talk a little about yourself and a little bit about your background. Well, it's always interesting to talk about your background and your history. But uh, like many of your listeners, uh, I had a passion for hunting when I was very very young. I I was fortunate that I grew up in a family that that loved to hunt in, in the good old days. Uh, my grandfather was an avid hunter, and, you know, I was only four or five years old when I wanted to start trailing my dad and my grandfather into those mountains, and and they definitely gave me a, uh, a love for the mountains that I have developed. It's become a passion. It's became a big part of my life. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And uh, most of my life I've spent hunting. Uh, I really didn't get into the sheep hunting. It's something that I always dreamed about when I read Jack O'Connor stories, as many people did. And I was out actually chasing uh, some big mule deer uh, bucks. And I can remember I was on this rocky ridge and all of a sudden, right there in front of me, uh, a desert ram appeared. I'd really, really never seen one before. And just as soon as it appeared and stared me down, it turned, and in just a, a flash of the eye and a little bit of dust, it was gone. But I was so intrigued by where those animals lived that that started me on a journey that... Uh, definitely has changed my life with many of the incredible experiences that I've had and from that day on I've I've been very dedicated to guiding sheep hunters I've also been very fortunate to have been able to go on uh, some sheep hunts myself I completed my full curl or grand slam known in a lot of circles back in 2001 I'm halfway to my Second one, I've just got to figure out a way to <laughs> draw another desert sheep tag and perhaps fund a, uh, fund a stone sheep hunt. Wow, that's incredible. So so a slam and a half, and you're, and you're working the other half. and That's, that's right. And that's awesome. Have, well, you, have, you, have you changed from a, a rifle to a bow or a mm. muzzleloader? Or <laughs> you're like, i got to get the tag first. I don't know what I'm doing. I've always been too busy to take up the archery. I know that is a passion of Lucas's and many other people. 
I, I've been very fortunate that I have guided a couple of hunters, and one of them was a huntress, an incredible archery uh, hunter, and they both took desert rams with their wow, bows. And that's so neat. Wow. for me, that was uh, a great, great experience in itself. But I'm primarily a rifle hunter. I've Boomstick. Yeah, I, I actually think archery hunters are probably the best hunters out there overall. Yeah. My opinion, sure. One of the stories, interesting, Randy, and you may talk a little bit more about it, uh, but um, the Buck of Justice, the the sheds that you found, uh, it was interesting reading a little bit about that, which from what I understand is one of the larger sets of sheds um, that have ever been found, or at least from a shed hunter. Is that correct? Well, many people, uh, those who have seen the Buck of Justice, the the shed antlers, uh, they truly believe it's probably the the biggest mule deer that ever lived, and I'm not saying that point-wise. Uh, the big set ended up scoring an incredible 288 uh, inches, but it's just the mass and the configuration of the antler, wow. eight and three-quarter inch bases, <laughs> wow. 17 points on one side, 13 on another, really on a true three-point frame when you look at it. It's just, wow. it's as massive as an elk, and uh, basically, I always looked at it as prehistoric, uh, wow. almost like prehistoric genetics, and it it definitely that was in the in the middle '90s when all that took place. It changed the mule deer hunting world. Sure, it, yeah, that's it, incredible. Uh, a lot of people then began to change their perspective of how they hunt, where they hunt, uh, and. They hope another buck of justice will live someday. (laughs) All of us do. We all do. We all do. And we all dream about that, that opportunity. You know, I mean, I apply for the Henry Mountains and I was fortunate. My brother-in-law drew a tag one time and I got to go up there. And to me, it was, it was surreal. I mean, a kid that was used to hunting blacktail, you know, where, I mean, if you got a forked horn or a fork by spike and you decide not to shoot it, guess what? You may not get a buck that year. And then you go to the Henry Mountains and all of a sudden you're seeing, well, I got told to not say buck unless the deer was like 180 inches or better because they were just not going to stop. But it was just an incredible experience. And that's not anywhere near the number that we're talking about. So they're out there somewhere. And what was so unique about the buck of justice uh, is that he was never killed. A hunter never killed him. He, uh, a sheep hunter, actually found his skeleton. I believe it was in 2001. And I had hunted the deer for 10 years. I only saw him alive twice. Jeez. And I, I still remember the first time I saw him. It was on June 15th, 1994. And that's early in the growing season for a mule deer. Yeah. But he was with six other giant desert bucks. He was laying in a bed off to the side and I was alone and I've never seen anything like it I never will uh still another month of growing season left and his his antlers at that time were just gigantic and I spent 10 years of my life trying to track that deer (laughs) down but he lived in some of the most inhospitable rugged desert terrain that you'd ever want to step foot in and that's that's why I love doing it, and I I wouldn't trade those 10 years for anything. And uh, when uh, the Desert Sheep Hunter found the skeleton, the antlers, the last set, were laying about 70 yards off the side. I guess he must have shed them and then perhaps either died or was killed by a cougar. But I I went and visited with that hunter, and he told me the general area said, I don't think I could ever find him again, and I went in backpacked in three four trips and i finally found that skeleton and i packed the entire skeleton out because that deer had become my life wow and i had been uh within 50 yards of that location and i just had missed that (laughs) particular set it wasn't as big as as three of mine but it was still quite remarkable and what Mm -hmm. a remarkable story and uh, quite unique that the deer was never killed. Maybe that's the way it was meant to be. Sure. Yeah. And you, you think about the deer that 
how many deer die of old age that we just never see, that, you know, or have a great year where they, um, you know, grow mass, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 inches on top of their frame. And, and you just, you know, you never see them again. Uh, and they just disappear, you know, it's like, yeah. I think like Popeye, you know, what, what kind of pushed, you know, Mike Eastman's, you know, career and, and that whole yeah. buck, there's, there's certain, you know, deer or certain animals out there that were named that, you know, have this claimed fame, but it's, it's neat that, you know, you actually hear some that literally live to old age and actually, you know, you know, they outsmart us. They outsmart us. That's let's get right down to it. I mean, you mentioned that at that time, it really changed people's views of where to hunt and how to hunt. And I remember that era because I was just at that stage getting like enthralled with everything. And, and actually funny funny story which i've talked about a few times it was 1997 and i put in for the california draw and back then you know if you wanted to know if you drew early you called so i called and i gave them my hunting number and they said well congratulations mr quick you drew an oracopia sheep tag and i was like oh my god you know i mean the pinnacle right i mean i got a sheep tag i got a california desert sheep tag and back then they were talking about the is producing the biggest yeah. ram. Well, guess what? Goliath just got killed out of there this last year. Yep. And, you know, they said that they had some big, big rams in there. So I was excited as I'll get out. Well, long and short of the story is supposedly the individual I talked to was a temporary worker there. After I called in twice and confirmed I got it, my wife called in once and confirmed I got it. And then three weeks later, when I didn't have a tag, I called in and said, I'm confused. I haven't received my tag yet. And they said, oh, I'm sorry, Mr. Quick, you're an alternate. Well, yeah, needless to say, that that spun my world into the wanting to sheep hunt scenario. And that's the reason, you know, not quite 20 plus years later, I have, well, 19 to 20 points for sheep in, you know, numerous different states so funny how those little things and we just know you're going to draw this year i I know i'm going to draw too i know it can't wait i'm ready i you know i got lucky i've got lucky once now it's time to get lucky for a desert absolutely so so randy maybe let's let's talk a little about so you know you said that you know you started out and you hunted mule deer and obviously you've hunted a lot of different big game species but you know you said you saw that desert and then he was just like dust and and gone. And that kind of, you know, was essentially what kind of snapped you into turning into, you know, your passion for sheep, but maybe just talk a little bit more of that. And, and, you know, as that's grown over time, I mean, has it just gotten to the point where, um, you know, sheep is really the one thing that just, you know, gets you up every morning and laces up those boots and wants to go out into the the hills every day and, and uh, go look for, for sheep. There's just a lot of things that get me up every morning, uh, <laughs> just life itself. But sheep hunting, two factors with sheep hunting, uh, two reasons why I fell in love with it, the physical challenges and the mental challenges. Uh, going on a backpack desert sheep hunt or a, a backpack stone sheep hunt, dull sheep hunt, there's just nothing like it. Uh, the physical challenges are are so uh, numerous. If you're not in tremendous physical shape, you're not going to get the job done. In fact, you might not live on some of those sure. those hunts. And I love that aspect of it. I always love being in great physical shape, and and I work. I've always worked hard at it. And so I I just love going into those remote places and looking for desert sheep. And yes, you had to be physically in shape. But if you didn't develop a mental toughness to overcome drinking muddy pothole water, <laughs> uh, the hot sleeping sun, under a rock. sleeping under a rock, cactus, yeah. uh, I, I've been in some incredible desert uh, thunderstorms, hailstorms where we actually didn't think we were going to live with flash floods, etc. And all of those physical and mental challenges to get back and come out of it alive uh, besides just matching your your skills against a, an incredible ram that's why i fell in love with it and uh, i had hunters asking me to 
take them and and get them into these remote places where you couldn't even get horses. And I like that challenge. I still do. And it's the overall experience uh, that we will remember forever that those hunters will take with them until they die and that I'll take with them to my grave. Every one of the hunts I can still remember wouldn't trade them for anything and each of the individuals and their their personalities and they become my friends for life. So those primarily the reasons I love sheep hunting and I've been also fortunate enough to do a little myself. Yeah, that's neat. I when I, we were talking at the sheep show, and it's the camaraderie with sheep hunters is different than the camaraderie of you know. We were talking about yes. the Dallas Safari Club and and uh, great convention, just different group of people. You go exactly. to the Wild Sheep Show, and uh, it is they are hunters, and they are guys that are there because they want to protect wild sheep, you know, in North America. Um, but the bottom line is, those are guys that have mental toughness, have physical agility. Those are guys that could get called two weeks out in August and say, hey, I've got a cancellation, and they're in shape to go and do a hunt like that. And right? that and, uh, you hit it on the nose. They are hardcore hunters, and some of the best people that you would ever meet, uh, they're the Navy SEALs of the hunting world. That's well, a good and, one. I like that. Yeah, that's actually a good analogy. You know, I, and I have never said this, but, you know, the first time that I ever met Randy, actually, I got that dumb piece of paper in the mail, and my wife said, hey, your refund check from Colorado's in, and I walked in there, and I looked, and I went, that's glossy paper. I'm like, oh, my God, did I put the wrong code on this? Did I draw you tag? Yeah, and I, <laughs> I rip it open, and, of course, it was a S12 Ram tag for Colorado. And I was just like, Oh my, I, you know, what do you say? So I started jumping up and down. And so then I started calling friends of friends of friends and talking to everybody. And then my friend Kim said, well, you need to call Randy. Cause if anybody knows somebody that might know somebody about that area, this is the guy. And that's actually how, how I met Randy. And since then it's like, I, I I took a picture of you, if you remember, last year at the Full Curl Society. I couldn't actually see you. You were way off in the distance. But the big screen had you up, and so I took a picture, and what did I put? A man that I admire, and I sent it to you. And uh, it's because I've seen and, and, and read your stuff in your, your email that you send out. And to me, I literally, I'll stop things that I'm doing and I think that I do a lot of important things for the, the NRA and for the cause and everything else. But when I see your email come across, I'm like, okay, I just need to take five minutes. I know it's not going to take me an hour to read it. Five minutes of my time. And there's always, you always have something very inspirational in there. And I really want to say thank you for that because there's not a lot of things that that you do in life where you get inspired. And I see you those pictures of you on those red rocks out in the middle of nowhere with the you know picture of a mud puddle like you just said that you're drinking out of and i'm thinking oh my god one of these days i'm going to do that lord what has this guy gotten me into i'm not sure <laughs> but that's just yeah. a pretty awesome experience right no, there I, I remember uh, that phone call from you uh, from our mutual friend uh, kim rapley and it was my privilege to visit with you, and hopefully that I was I was able to help and direct yeah. you. And I remember you took a good ram, and I believe there was someone there that filmed yep. portions of that hunt. I remember yep. uh, the fun video that I was able to see. And and as far as uh, the emails that I send out, I, I hope that they do make a difference in the lives of those people that I share those my hunter's listserv, I've called it. It started very small years and years ago, and I've had more individuals uh, call me and want to be placed on that, and I, I don't post to it every week. When I do post to it, it I may spend a couple of hours thinking of, of what I want to exp- how I want to express myself, and that comes from my heart, just how I feel. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm glad that there are individuals that appreciate it and and I I like to share and congratulate people on their efforts out in the hunting world. Yeah. You know, and, and one thing I will say, and this is just something that I found from my sheep hunt, most people that 
I talked to that actually had that tag, which which trying to find those people are almost impossible. You almost think Fish and Game should have a list of those people. But when you actually call them and say, hey, look, I drew a sheep tag, they're almost as excited as you are. And I don't. I had two or three different people that just... I mean, they would send me maps, they would send me photographs, they would send me emails, they would do anything and everything because they really knew they were never going to sheep hunt there again. I even had a couple of guys that literally said, when are you going? I'm like, well, I'm going to, I'm going scouting on this day. I happen to be free that weekend. Do you mind if, and I mean, literally one guy drove from Wyoming down to hook up with me while I was there and another guy that lived in Colorado came down i mean literally i met two guys that had hunted that unit in the years past they were just ecstatic and they were like pointing out ridges and go to this spot to glass and you know i mean just so helpful you you kind of look at that and then you transition that to a normal five point elk unit and you call somebody that is going to have that tag maybe in the next couple of years and most of them don't want to tell you anything about their hunts because they're like, oh, that's insider trading information. Oh, I can draw that tag again, I can draw too. that tag here in a couple of days. But <clears throat> when you take 20 years to draw a tag, most guys, and, and I've done the same thing. I've had two or three people call me that on that hunt, and I'm just like, man, if I could get time to go, you know, I, I wait for the right person to call me and, and need my help, and I'm going on that hunt again. Probably won't be my tag, but I'll go with somebody. So yeah. it's pretty exciting. Very close fraternity. It is. Smaller world than we think. It is. It's a very small world. So let's talk a little bit about sheep hunting. So, um, Randy, to kind of dig in, you know, to your, you know, many years of, of guiding and really in your professional opinion, and let's start with desert sheep. What do you think in terms of, you know, from a state standpoint, holds the best desert sheep uh, in, in the United States? If you were to... If you had the ability to, to hunt any state for desert, what would it be? I would probably hunt Arizona just because of the numbers of sheep and, and great genetics, and I've spent a lot of time down there helping good friends. But I'll tell you, your home state of California uh, genetically is producing some of the biggest desert rams that I've ever seen and you mentioned uh, Goliath that Jason Harrison killed not very many months ago. What an incredible ram. Uh, one of the biggest, I believe, Nelsonis killed in, yep. in North America. Yeah. And, and so California, they need to open up more areas down there to hunt. Yes, uh, they do. Because there's some trem- tremendous sheep. But We'll take what we get down there. Uh, I'd I'd love to spend some time there. New Mexico and Nevada always produce some some big rams. I've also spent time down in Sonora. The red horn rams, uh, a little different experience down there, but still at sheep hunting and and enjoyable. And and my home state of Utah is is so different when it comes to hunting desert sheep because a lot of the country I hunt you have to throw a backpack on you can't go back to a base camp and it's in some of the most rugged terrain in North America and I guess that's one reason that I fell in love with that but probably Arizona offers the best chances overall to perhaps draw a tag and take a big ram. Yeah, and when we talk about, you know, of the four sheep, I mean, desert's one of the most desirable, right? Because it's one of the, the hardest to get unless, you know, you have a, a tough, trust fund, tough right? Tough to draw. It's exactly. tough to draw. And for us normal people, you know, it is really one of the pinnacle sheep to, to shoot in the, in the in North America because it is um, so tough to draw. I just, you know, you look at the full curl options, right? You got three stones, you got five dolls, but you got one desert, right? And it's just, they're a... They're a difficult, you know, species to draw and, uh, you know, for, for good reason. Yeah, there just aren't large numbers of them. And it's, uh, if you're going to complete your Grand Slam, it's probably the toughest one to get of the four. If you have finances, you can go get a doll and sure. you can go get a stone. You can even buy a, a Rocky, but it's just, there's just not very many tags given out for deserts. Yeah. Yeah. So on the flip side, um, Rockies, what, in your opinion, uh, in the 
you know, in, in North America, essentially, because you can you can hunt Rockies in Canada too. Where do you see some of the best Rocky Mountain sheep? I mean, obviously Montana kind of surfaces, you know, to the top uh, in 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 the Missouri Breaks area. But you know, in your professional opinion, what do you see as one of the the better states to hunt Rockies? Well, you just hit it definitely, Montana, absolutely. Uh, if you're going outside of the U.S., of course, Alberta. But New Mexico every year produces uh, some great Rocky Mountain rams. Uh, Oregon, right there in Hell's Canyon, uh, some giants are killed up that way. So, I mean, I killed my Rocky, one of my Rockies in Wyoming uh, two, three years ago. Genetically... uh, Wyoming isn't going to produce as big a Rockies as Montana and New Mexico and Oregon. But what an incredible experience I had hiking into the Absaroka Mountains. Uh, wouldn't trade that for any anything dodging grizzly bears and <laughs> uh, tough hunting. So if you can draw a Rocky, Rocky Mountain hunt, doesn't matter what state, I think you're going to have a great experience. Yeah. I, I always lean on if you can draw any sheep tag wherever you're going i'm i'm sure there's some that are better than others there's no doubt about that but you got a tag in your hand i mean that's i mean after that 97 experience where i thought i had one it took you know 17 15 years before i actually got to experience that so yeah sheep hunting is what we dream of yeah doesn't necessarily matter what what species if you got a tag in your pocket I, I even think about you know the unlimited units in montana where you can go over the counter buy a tag and you know most of the the i think there's five or six units but you know they have a, a two a two you know cheap um um bag limit and once two sheep are harvested in that unit they close down the area but you know for a lot of guys that live in montana that are residents they can literally hunt sheep every year right and, and so when you think about that, you know, who gets that option to do that, right? I mean, that's that's the, a very the rare. The people in Montana, that's the yeah. only ones. Well, I've, non-residents can do it, but it's 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 pretty expensive to. I've to had f- three close friends here in Utah went up and hunted the Unlimited and got very nice rams. Okay. And so it's it's worth taking a gamble. Yeah. that That's the ticket. That's, that's the ticket. Um, in terms of. A lot of the states. I mean, you've you've talked about. I mean, you've been pretty much all over North America. Obviously, you've you've hunted dolls in Alaska, and you've you've hunted stones. Uh, um, but have you ever done any other type of hunting outside of the United States? I know you you were talking about that you've been to Africa, but um, do you do any other type of hunting outside of sheep hunting outside of the United States? Well, I'm actually going to Africa for the first time uh, in May. I had some friends talk me into it. They say I'm going <laughs> to love it. Jason's one yeah, of them. You're going to love it. Gonna love uh, it. I'm sure it's going to be a different hunting experience it than I've be. been on. But an, a fun hunting experience that I had that you and I were talking about, Lucas, was New Zealand. Yeah. Uh, in, entirely different for me. You know, I wasn't throwing a backpack on, but I always wanted to uh, hike those southern Alps and and get a bull tar. And in some instances over there, they like to fly people in in helicopters, drop them off, shoot your animal, uh, hook the animal up, up, pick you up, and and go drop you off again. And I I know you refused to do it when you were hunting over there, and I refused to do it. We hiked in, in in snowstorms. We... I think both of us shot a couple of very nice bull tar. Uh, we actually hunted with the same outfit, yeah. which was a small, talk about a small world. Six degrees of separation. That's incredible, yeah. And so I really enjoyed uh, uh, hunting New Zealand. Seeing it's such a, a beautiful country. But other than that, I really haven't spent a lot of time hunting outside of the U.S., not that I don't dream about it. Yeah. Uh, would like to go chase some of those Asiatic sheep perhaps someday. Oh, yeah. see, I, I told you. We were just talking on the drive up here. I'm like, man, a friend of mine just told me about going. A combo, Marco Polo. Marco Polo sheep hunting. I'm like, oh, man, that's on the list. It's on the for list. Sure. Problem is the list for me is quite <laughs> long. and Never gets smaller. Yeah, look. You take one off and you add another one onto the bottom. That's just the way it should be. It is exactly. So switching gears a little bit, um, let's talk about 
everyone that I, and I've never, I've never harvested a sheep. So I'm one of those guys that's eligible for a lot of different opportunities, um, based on never harvesting a sheep. But everyone you talk to says that they taste excellent. And a lot of times guys will cook them on a rock. They'll cook, you know, they'll cook some backstrap on the, on the mountain, on a rock. But, um, you know, you've obviously been a part of a lot of harvests of sheep and, and thinking about from the preparation standpoint, um, is there a certain way in, in terms of preparing it or cooking it that you prefer over others, Randy? Well, well on, on this is going to be kind of funny, but on my stone sheep hunt, we, we hadn't seen a sheep for 10 days and there was my ram and we took it and we hadn't eaten very well for 10 days. So we just took the rib cage, uh, Put it on a fork stick, put, put it on that fire, roasted it. I've never had anything taste quite so well. But you're right, uh, wild sheep is excellent. Uh, to me, it tastes like a, a mild form of venison. So if I am at home, my favorite recipe is, is just to take uh, some steaks, put it in flour, butter, some dip it in eggs, fry it up. And there's nothing better. As, but yeah, that's how I was raised with, with yeah. venison, see? <laughs> yeah. That's how my grandpa and my dad raised me. So that's about as simple as you can get. Sure. But that's my recipe. I'm sure there's other hunters out there that have better recipes. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. that's funny that you mentioned the, the cooking the ribs. Um, I told Lucas, actually, one of my... And, and I don't know if I, I saw, I read this, like you mentioned Jack O'Connor. I remember reading a whole bunch of sheep stories when I was a young kid. And I remember them talking about ribs over the open fire on the, on the sheep mountain. And every time, I mean, when I went on my sheep hunt, I actually had seasoning in my backpack. And I mentally had prepared myself, well, Kirsten, you're going sheep hunting, so everything I put on my back, I mentally prepared myself for what happens if you shoot it at last light. I'm not leaving that sheep. There is no way I'm leaving that sheep alone on that mountain all night long with wolves and grizzlies and every other critter out there. I'm staying. And mentally in my head, I always thought, you know what? That would be suit. What a cool filling. And, and I see you, you you could visualize it. I mean, I, I, I see it right now. I can't wait till the time that I actually get to live through it. So yeah, ribs, sheep ribs on the mountain. Well, and I've, I've had list. hunters out in the field who also wanted to slice up the Rocky Mountain oysters. I'm sure most people on this podcast know what I'm talking yeah, about. I and I've eaten those. They'll slice those up right out there in the field and Cook them on a rock, cook them in a small pan, and that's their dinner, and they yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. Randy, thinking about, um, again, kind of your your background and your history with, with sheep hunting, you said you, you're at a slam and a half right now and, you know, clearly have harvested some good animals in your lifetime. But, you know, you also have the gift of helping people, right, getting to either if they've drawn a tag and guided for them or, or just assisted, you know, I'm sure on many hunts as well, just helping. But... Um, in retrospect, thinking back and now where you're at in your current state, would you rather have the tag in your pocket yourself or do you get more joy out of going with someone and seeing them harvest their first ram? That is is really an incredible question. I, I believe personally uh, I would rather be out there with an individual and have the adrenaline dr- rush of, of seeing them be successful, of overcome some physical hardships, some mental hardships. I've, I've had so many grown men and women who spent days out there uh, hunting a big ram, and finally it all came together. Uh, they've bled, they've sweat, and when it finally happens, tears stream down their face, uh, we embrace, we jump up and down on sandstone slabs like a couple of little kids. I can remember one gentleman completed his grand slam, and we grabbed each other, and we rolled around on a, on a sandstone slab. Uh, it was probably someone would have liked to have had that on camera and thought it was quite humorous, but yeah. uh, to me, it's it's 
it's really a culmination of a lot of people's hard work and sacrifice and support from families to see someone uh, uh, that it just means the world that uh, they fulfill their dream of taking a ram out there. And so I don't want to be selfish and say I would rather be out there hunting a sheep myself because I get great satisfaction out of helping a Jason Quick or Lucas Paw, uh, yeah. and, and perhaps someday we'll get to go. Yeah. I have a question for you. So you've been doing, how many years have you, when was your first sheep hunt that you went on? Would have been in the early 90s. Okay. Uh, so you've been doing this for quite a few years. Almost 30 years. So almost 30 years. Do you I've know got 30 more, too. There you go. I, <laughs> That's great, because I've got at least 30, so <laughs> yeah. I need you around, Randy. <laughs> so, uh, and I'm just curious, do you know how many sh- successful sheep hunts you've been on? I have been asked that question so many times. and generally, <laughs> You should make up some new number. <laughs> and, and, and generally, uh, I tell people, I'm not one that likes to uh, put a notch in, in my gun belt, so to speak. I can tell you it's well over a hundred and uh that's incredible and listen i've i've heard i've read lots of your emails and you know i mean i guess in the gist of things really this relationship is is very young compared to some of your older friends that you've hunted with for 20 or 30 years but just just seeing you know i mean not all hunts are successful and we put forth the effort, and sometimes it just doesn't work out. We talked about a, a our mutual friend Kim, who went on a, a polar bear hunt, and surprise, surprise, was unsuccessful because of weather being horrible. You know, I mean, that's just the way hunting is. You're not going to be successful all the time, but normally when you draw a sheep tag, almost everybody I know. Well, I when I drew my sheep tag, I told my boss, I said, "Okay, I'm taking two weeks off," and he goes, "Okay." He goes, what's the rest of the story? I said, well, the season actually goes for another two weeks after that. And he goes, so what are you trying to tell me? I said, well, I'm not coming back if the first two weeks doesn't work. So I'm going to be there for four weeks if I need to make this happen. And, you know, the great thing is working for the NRA, my my boss was like, hey, I know how many years it takes to draw one of those things. If you get, If you have to stay longer, just let us know. You know, we'll, we'll work it out. So it's pretty pretty cool thing. So. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. Yeah. really is. And some people get to do it twice or maybe three times, hopefully four. That's right. So one piece of equipment I know that's, that's almost, I mean, when you think about mission critical uh, in the backcountry is optics. And, again, um, I was fortunate to buy a piece of glass from Randy last year that uh, I've just – I've been a Leica guy for years and uh, bought a, an STS 65 millimeter Swarovski spotting scope and have just fallen in love with it. He doesn't like it. I've tried to buy it from him <laughs> so many times. So, uh, yeah, Jason has. And, but the problem was when you when you offered like 200 bucks, what? at least, I mean, you know, maybe, maybe throw. We're friends. Yeah. You could borrow it anytime you want. <laughs> exactly. Um, anyway. But, what, a, but, what a deal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I, I was fortunate to, to get a piece of glass from Randy and, again, kind of how I, I met Randy and, and have got to know him. But um, I know you upgraded um, based on that and were upgraded to, to different optics. But when you're out looking at sheep, I mean, you know, let's talk a little bit about optics and, and really how important that is. And, and what are you using? Are you using, you know, binoculars, combinations, 10s, 15s? Are you using spotting scopes, or is it all of the above when you're out there doing some scouting? I I use almost entirely 15s initially, always on a tripod. Of course, you'll be hiking along, and there's sometimes you'll, you'll pull your uh, binoculars out of the case to glass in front of you. But when I can really set up to glass the big country, I'll use those 15s. But a, a big game changer for me and it's a little touchy because I backpack so much because this item's a little heavier, but it's the Swarovski BTX, and that's why I, I sold my SDS-65 uh, to Lucas, was I was able to get my hands on a BTS, BTX, and I'll tell you, the dual eyepiece basically on a 95, 85, or 65-millimeter tube 
is is a big game changer. So if, if I have backpacked it in on some desert sheep hunts, wow, and you set that up, you can pick apart a lot of country. And and so in the past, I've used 15s, and then when I uh, see movement, see a sheep, I'll go to a spawning scope. But now my spawning scope is that BTX, and I find myself at times using it uh, to glass like I used to with my 15s off that tripod. Yeah. But you've got to have a tripod. You what do. Ca- what kind of tripod are you running? Well, because I backpack so much, I use an outdoorsman tripod. And uh, when I was using the 15s, I would use their ultralight head, but it won't work with the BTX. I, I have to go to a heavier head on that. If you're not backpacking... Uh, it would be nice to go to even yeah. a heavier tripod Less with balance. that BTX. Sure. So in, in some country, uh, for instance, in Arizona, you can drive around the mountains uh, and and set up, and you could use that type of a tripod. The country I hunt in, I have to backpack. So Light, I, lighter I, is better when you're doing that. Ultralight versus having the best quality optic that exactly. you can get when you're back there. So exactly, but optics uh, in sheep hunting is everything. Quality optics. Yeah, and I well, just think of you know the there was that transition, and I think of like Dwayne Adams when he started putting yep. you know optics on tripods, and it changes the game. I mean, from the, from the yeah. days of of you know looking through glass and trying to hold it steady. And then you, you can put, and I've always said this, you can put, you know, a pair of $200 binoculars on a tripod and you're probably going to be as effective or more effective than someone who's looking through an expensive piece of German glass, not on a tripod. It's, it's a game changer for sure. And I, you know, it's funny cause actually when I first started getting involved and I was with the Mule Deer Foundation selling advertising for him, um, I met Dwayne Adams and he, he convinced me of the whole 15s on a tripod. In fact, I still have my Carl Jenna Zeiss 15 by 56 that I had with a piece of Velcro that you strapped them onto a tripod, basically. Um, And what I found to be the most important thing, of course, is just as we talked about, it's got to be perfectly steady. Because what I found is when I'm looking a long ways away, and I'm not touching the tripod or the binoculars, and something moves in your view, your brain tells you something just moved. And what's silly is then you really start looking, and all of a sudden, maybe it's a coyote. And you're like, I'm looking like a mile or plus away, and I I found a coyote. Okay, if a sheep or a deer or an elk, which is quite a bit bigger than a coyote, moves in my my vision, I'm going to find them, you know? And so to me, the, the tripod and the binoculars, I run like a 15s right now. Cause I, I like the range finder that they have on them, but boy, I tell you, I, I don't, I don't even know how I'd survive hunting and I carry an outdoorsman also with me. Um, and that's really what I run off of. And the only time I find I have problems of course, is when you get in big wind or something like that. And you, you just can't. I can't hold the binoculars still enough to to catch that movement. But I've found skunks. That was one of my better finds: is finding a skunk on the side of a hill. And you're like, okay, well, if I could find a skunk at a mile and a half, man, there's nothing on this hillside that I can't find. So, yeah, very very nice, Randy. Um, maybe just talk a little bit about. I know you're you're very engaged in a lot of the foundations and organizations, um, you know, Wild Sheep Foundation, Fanaz, Full Curl. Maybe just talk a little bit about to your involvement and affiliation with those. Well, I've I've uh, been involved with Wild Sheep for a a long long time uh, because their motivation is to put sheep back onto the mountain, and I like to pay it forward uh, for what sheep hunting has given me. But uh, Full Curl. Uh, was began with the vision of uh, Mr. Don Pay back in 2010, and it was the mission primarily is to find a way to offer sheep hunts that an average hunter could go on. Uh, and so right now we're giving away 10 sheep hunts tomorrow, uh, free sheep hunts for 
10 lucky individuals, and some of those individuals may not ever have had the financial means to go on a sheep hunt. And, and so for me, that's a, an incredible opportunity uh, for me to be involved. And we also uh, recognize those who have completed their full curls or grand slams with our achievement awards. And then each year we, we try to induct uh, very worthy individuals into what we call a full curl hall of fame and and we do that for their contributions to conservation and to our goal of putting wild sheep back on the mountain so there's lots of great organizations out there uh, uh, hunting organizations and other organizations including the nra that's a that's a Thank plug you. for you jason and for our second amendment rights yeah i know when you say paying it forward i think you know, if it wasn't for organizations like Wild Sheep and Full Curl, I mean, sheep would be extinct, right? I mean, 100-plus yeah. years ago, Rocky Mountain Elk were, were darn near extinct, and, and look at how they're thriving now. I mean, you know, you're talking, you know, 300,000 elk in Colorado, 180,000 elk in Montana. So it, it's true. I mean, hunting is conservation, but it takes people involved and engaged and, like you said, paying it forward. I mean putting time in to make sure that we're putting more sheep on the mountain. And hunters are conservationists, yeah. and I wish more people out there in our society understood that. Yeah, that is an amazing thing that, that our society, um, well, we'll call it the Disney World, Disneyland, Disney view of things. You know, these little bears are just all nice and cuddly and warm and fuzzy. And I'm not saying they don't look that. But when you watch a grizzly bear walk over to a 20-inch in diameter tree that's 30 foot tall and hook his claws into the bottom of that tree and pull that thing clean out of the ground, you realize that bear's got some serious power. If he wants to take a swipe at another animal, whatever he's swiping at is going to die. And, you know, our world is a cruel world, but our society seems to make especially predators, they seem to make predators these adorable, cute little fuzzy creatures that, oh, the wolves are so pretty. And I'm not saying that they're not pretty, but boy, when you watch a wolf pack get a hold of a cow moose or a cow elk or any animal, boy, they'll shred it to little pieces while it's alive and still kicking. They'll be eating Oh, yeah. chunks off that's of it. nature though right i mean you know that's the reality and i think people need perspective of that too right i mean we'll go out and, and harvest an animal ethically but they need all people also need to know that those animals have to live too and that's just a that's a part of nature yeah you know, and, it, and it's real life so well good randy this has been um this has been neat having you here um i do want to give you a little opportunity to talk about um, high desert um, wild sheep guides and just kind of um, you know, your co-owner of that business and, and just kind of what you guys offer. If someone on here is listening and says, you know, hey, I've got max points in Arizona ready to draw. I'm looking for a guy to outfit me. Um, just give you that opportunity to maybe plug uh, your business a little bit. Well, if someone draws uh, Arizona, I definitely will direct them to some good friends who I, I believe do an incredible job. I, I have a lot of connections in various states and and I'll have people call and ask me, who who do you think I should go with down here? And when I speak to people, I speak from the heart, from experience. I'm not trying to sell a magazine. I'm not trying to sell anything. I'm just telling them, these people will get the job done. You're going to have a great experience. They know this unit. If someone draws a sheep tag in, in Utah, uh, we would love the opportunity to take them on that once-in-a-lifetime experience it's it's going to be more than a hunt they become our family uh, we've done it for a long time and and again we don't do that for a living uh, i do it for the love of sheep hunting and uh, always look forward to those days yeah absolutely Randy, how can folks get a hold of you? I know your your um, your subscriber list on your email chain is is, and I know that's something you and I talked about uh, is pretty powerful. Not only 
you know, I think that you pour your heart into what you write in there, but also the success stories and the experiences of other people that, you know, say, Hey, Randy, I took my daughter and she, you know, she shot her first mule deer or shot an elk and, and you recognize a lot of people. And what I've, what I've come to realize with that email subscription is it's, it's, it's not about you. It's about everyone else in that circle. Um, and, and you recognize those folks on those successes. So I, I think it's neat that you do that. But if someone was want to subscribe or how could someone get a hold of you to get on that subscription list? Uh, they could either go to our, my website, which is uh, highdesertwildsheepguides.com and request to be added to my personal uh, hunters uh, listserv. Or they could email me, randy at highdesertsheepguides.com and ask to be included on that. And I would uh, try and put that person as a hunting friend on my, on my list. And again, it's to share the successes of others, uh, to share, share my philosophy on life sometimes, on, on society, and hopefully uh, what I'm sharing, what I'm writing can affect uh, those individuals uh, have a positive effect on their lives. That's what I'm doing it for. Yeah, absolutely. Being in the outdoors, I think, is is powerful. And I think, you know, I, I believe in God and I'm a godly person. And I tell everybody, you know, I don't have to go to church to believe in that. I I feel so much closer to God when I'm sitting on the top of a mountain looking over something that I wonder how many generations of people have climbed this mountain and sat on this rock and looked at this view and it just it's awe inspiring to me and I and I think that when you come across in your writings a lot of times I feel that way and I might be sitting in my office you know looking at my ram that's right across from my desk and wishing that I was back on that, you know, 10,000 foot peak, you know, right then when I'm reading that story that you write. So you do, you inspire me when I read a lot of your stuff. And I know every once in a while you're like, oh, well, I'm going to this state to help this person, or I'm going down to Sonora to help that person. And sometimes I'm like, man, I wish I, I was going with you. At the same time, I know sometimes you're probably wishing, man, I'd just like to be home with the family and be able to help out the the son-in-law on his quest and this and that so i know it's part of life so i I spend a lot of time out there but i wouldn't do it if i didn't enjoy it and yeah it's all about helping others that's awesome absolutely awesome well good jason thanks for helping out co-hosting as you do and appreciate your insight and randy this has been uh, great um getting to obviously know you a little better but also you know get you on our podcast and to help tell your story a little bit uh, and, and I think you know there's a lot of there's a lot of power behind what you do and and there's obviously a lot of energy behind what you do and I think sharing these types of stories um, and getting your message out uh, is really what we want to do and we want to make sure that uh, you know we have folks that uh, when they subscribe and they see Randy Johnson on there that uh, they're going to want to potentially listen to that and maybe one day you know hunt next to you on the side of a mountain if they have a sheep tag so my privilege to be here tonight appreciate it thanks jason thanks randy thanks listeners for tuning in and we'll catch you guys for another edition on the rna outdoors podcast hey everyone this is lucas paw host of the RNA Outdoors podcast, please check out Podbean and iTunes. If you have an iPhone or iPad, go to the podcast app on your device, search for RNA Outdoors, and hit the purple subscribe button. When doing this, it will automatically upload when new podcasts are loaded, and they will download into your queue. For Android users, you can access the podcast through Podbean, Stitcher, or use our website, www.rnaoutdoors.com forward slash podcast. In addition, under the RNA Outdoors podcast channel, please leave a review and a five-star rating. These reviews help boost our popularity and outreach. You can also follow us on our social media outlets, Twitter at RNA Outdoors, Facebook, RNA Outdoors, and Instagram, 
rod, and arrow outdoors. All links are in the show notes as well. If you like what you've heard, we hope you'll pass along our channel to your friends and colleagues. Keep up the good fight. We cannot sit by and watch the public lands devoted to wildlife protection wither away. There's simply too much at stake. Make your voice heard, speak up, and get involved with conservation efforts, and know that every little bit helps. As we say on the mountain, go farther, stay longer.